Welcome to Take Care. This is the podcast that helps you understand the background and habits of change makers. Host Rish Sharma and his guests give you the wisdom to help you learn a little more and get a bit better every episode. So welcome, Essie. I'm really excited to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yeah. So you know, I'd just like to give the guests a little bit of background um, on yourself. So if you could just go into your background and kind of, in just brief cliff notes, what your journey from, from the beginning to what led you to become an angel investor um, and working with founders. Yes, for sure. I, I, I have an engineering background, electrical engineering, uh, MBA, and then I spent a dozen years building products and companies. I worked for Facebook, Nokia, Siebel Systems. And then when I was at Facebook, two things happened. One is I started angel investing and, and got some early success and, and enjoyed doing it. And then two, I was invited to write a book on what makes a great product. Mm-hmm. And as I was writing this book, I realized that there was no place for product managers to stay sharp, uh, basically learn best practices from one another. And so I started with today, uh, five years later, is one of the largest networks of product managers in the world. And this network is a network of innovators, people who build great products, but also end up starting great companies, working for great companies. And so a lot of the companies we invest in, they come to us through that product network, products that count. Nice, nice. Thank you for, for that bringing us that background. So if you could just, for the audience that might not know, what is product management and how, what would be the most easiest way to explain that? Well, it's really interesting because, you know, it's, it's not an easy answer depending on which company you work for, which industry you're in. Yeah, there's going to be different titles, different definition for the role. Uh, some people call it brand manager, product manager, product marketing, product designer, product analyst, lots of different things, technical product manager. The truth is a product manager is basically somebody who's responsible for orchestrating many, many different kinds of resources and drive success for their product. Mm-hmm. And success is also interesting. Like, how do you define product success? Because, you know, for a lot of people, and especially for a lot of startups at Mighty Capital, my, my venture capital firm, we see a lot of founders who come to us and say, oh, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, what they call product market fit, or I've reached product market fit. Mm-hmm. And, and I think of product market fit really more as a myth. I mean, it's, it's cool, but, you know, the, the truth is there isn't such a thing as, like, product market fit. Like the minute you reach product market fit, you're going to lose it right away because some customers are going to make demands that is going to change your product. 
and therefore you're going to create you know unhappy customers gain more customers and you're going to be constantly looking to uh, evolve your product market fit so what i think of as product success is really what ultimately is the success of a business which is drive revenue mm -hmm. like build products that make money yeah. it's kind of that simple yeah i think a lot of the biggest principles end up being that just that simple. So I'll take it to another, maybe something that might not have an easy answer also is what makes a great product. If you could summarize uh, that. You're, you're asking me all the, all the tough questions. So what makes a great product is really um, interesting because, you know, some people will have a sense, certain sensitivity. They will like say, Oh yeah, this is a beautiful product. Like the iPhone is a, a great example of mm -hmm. that. Like, Oh, I love this iPhone. It's a great product. So, and then other people will say, oh, no, I, I really don't like it. It's not efficient. It consumes so much battery. I, I'm not finding things easily. Like, you know, so I actually did a lot of research on, on that, thinking like, what makes a great product? And I came down to something that also feels probably simple. It's like easy to understand, really hard to master. Yeah. Which is when we think of our technology, it's really become an extension of ourselves. And so when I think I want to build a great product, you want to think like, I want to build a better person, mm -hmm. right? So what makes a great person is really the question. What makes a great product is really what makes a great person. And when you look out there, like for frameworks that describe a great person, there's actually not too many. And so I use the mind, body, spirit framework to describe that mm -hmm. and apply that to product. So, you know, what makes a great product is, first of all, the, the body rule. We, we all want to look good, so we expect that our technology and our products will, will operate by beauty. And what does that mean? It's not just you know, pretty pictures. It's a lot more than this. Mm -hmm. Then spirit, we all want to have a meaningful life. And so we expect that our products will also be meaningful, i.e. they will be personalized. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, mind rule, like your listeners, you and myself, we all want to keep growing and learning. And so we expect that our products and our technology will also learn and evolve with us. And then, you know, of course, that's like the tip of the iceberg in yeah. terms of answer. But that's, that's what I think of as a great product. Uh, it's, that's a great uh, way of approaching it. I think it's quite unique. I think it allows you to make the products more human and integrate better into your life, which builds habits, which make make products that you want to keep back coming back to. So that's, it's a great framework. So, you know, move away from product management, kind of go into a bit of angel investing. Obviously this is a current situation we're in right now. We're in COVID people are sheltering at home. There's also civil unrest currently going on. So how just generally is the, the market generally for investments right now for startups? Yes. So I, I realized that at the beginning, I didn't really tell you about my venture capital firm, Mighty Capital. And so maybe let me say a few words about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it will help um, give us perspective on where I think venture capital is going. So Mighty Capital, what we, we're a venture capital firm. And what we offer to our portfolio companies is access to the products account network. That means access to over 300,000 product managers. Mm -hmm. That's one in five in the world. And the reason I mention that is that, you know, right now, I think what's happening in the venture capital industry 
is there's um, an innovator's dilemma situation. Okay. You know, it's like 10 something years ago when I worked for Nokia and the iPhone got introduced. At Nokia, the rage was, hey, we need higher resolution cameras. Mm -hmm. And then Apple came in and said, it's not about the camera. It's about having an app store and it's about having iTunes. That's mm -hmm. what's going to make the next wave of you know, great mobile applications. Mm -hmm. And they were right. And right now in venture capital, there's something exactly similar that's happening where all the big firms, you see SoftBank and Sequoia and many others, they're like, well, we got to raise more money so we write bigger checks, mm -hmm. otherwise we're going to die, right? It's the same, same thing. Got to yeah. get bigger if we want to survive. The problem when you do this is that the more money you invest, the more you dilute your returns. I mean, we're seeing it right now with SoftBank Unravel. Yeah. And so what Mighty Capital and, and a few other firms are, are doing is saying, it's actually not about the size of your check. It's about the value you bring to the table. That's not the money. And so yeah. Mighty Capital writes a check, of course, we're investors, yeah. but we also add that value of the product management network and our portfolio companies, like we're investors in Airbnb and DigitalOcean, Amplitude, Mission Bio, mm -hmm. and Amplitude, for example, they say we've generated millions of dollars in revenue from giving them access to our network, right? So when you find an investor that add millions of dollars to your revenue, that's very valuable. Mm -hmm. It's value way beyond the dollars that they invest. And so that's, you know, that's what I think is happening right now at a kind of a macro level in venture capital. Now, back to your question about like, okay, but we're in COVID time, yeah. civil unrest. It's like the, the crazy opportunity of our lifetime. Right? Yeah. What it does, situations like this, as you, as you can tell from what's going on in the news, is it just accelerates macro trends. Right? So we were already seeing inequalities rising. Well, now it's like just crazy accelerating. We have yeah. 40 million unemployed, right? Yeah. That's like 25% of the population is out of a job. Well, it, it was it was already written in the cards when you know people make like a hundred times more money than than you know people living right next to them. Yeah. And so what's happening in the venture capital industry is is the same. Like these funds that keep getting bigger and bigger, they're eventually like is are going to see their downfall because they're never going to be able to deliver the returns that are required for you know for them to raise another fund. And another kind of fund will emerge, and I think value capital, uh, value-added funds, uh, is going to be one of them. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great, succinct kind of way of talking about it. Um, so now that we're kind of, since you mentioned everything's kind of accelerating, this next wave of startups that are going to come, what, what do you feel is going to be the successful ingredients of them, or is it going to be the time-tested time uh, ingredients? Yeah, so same, same thing in the, in the world of innovation, right? Like innovation just keeps accelerating. And so what we've been seeing over the past 10 years is really, in essence, the, the mobile revolution. Right? We, we've been seeing it first in the consumer sector, then in B2B and SaaS. Now we're seeing it in life sciences and deeper industries. So it just keeps getting deeper and deeper in the different levels of our economy that's not going to go away. So there's still going to be massive disruption coming from this you know, mobile data set. Like mobile data set I define by every piece of data that's collected out there, like context, time, place, mm -hmm. 
that we can use to better personalize services. Now there's another body of data that has not yet been exploited or yes. is just starting to be exploited, which is all the data set that's inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. Basically, I call that the genomics data set, but you know, I also include like your dental footprint, your your eye, you know, your biometrics, right? Yeah. So everything that's your health and genomics data. We have not yet built the crazy consumer B2B life science services that are gonna be just as disruptive as the mobile services are disruptive today. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third body of data further down the line, that's the blockchain body of data. And the blockchain body of data is about connections between people and entities, right? If mm -hmm. I start a company or if I enter into a partnership with you, like how do we, how do we qualify that relationship? And I think blockchain is gonna be the way we qualify it. So when I think about waves of innovation in the, you know, in the next like 10, 15 years, I think mobile body of data, genomics or biometrics body of data, blockchain body of data. And then there's a whole other area around IoT, robotics, like yeah. the you know, space exploration, which I'm a lot less familiar with, but is also huge, right? The, uh, th that area is another kind of huge wave of disruption. Thank you for, for breaking that down. So, you know, you've even mentioned some of the companies you invested in, like Airbnb, DigitalOcean. What are you looking for when you're going in on an investment? Like, what are the criteria? Mighty yeah, it's really for. simple. What we want is founders who are very business minded. So we want them to have assembled a, a fabulous team. East Coast, West Coast is where we like to invest. And then we want them to generate a little bit of revenue. Okay. So you're, so if you're one of these companies, you can definitely contact me and I'll give you my email. It's yeah. sc at mighty.capital, no.com, mighty.capital. We'll put that on the show notes so that Sounds any good. listeners out there. And, uh, you know, is beyond, is there any other trends that you say that are kind of out there in regards to the investing community that's kind of changing right now? Any, and how the approach is changing? Yes, I think there's something else that's happening in addition to that innovator's dilemma, right? I mentioned how the big firms are not on a sustainable trajectory. The very small firms aren't either on a sustainable trajectory. And why that is like over the past, whatever, five, 10 years, we've seen a lot of IPOs. And so we've seen a lot of people come out of, you know, whatever, Uber, Facebook, and, and so on and so forth and say, oh, I'm gonna start my own venture fund. And, you know, they go and they raise money. And when people ask them like, oh, why should I invest in you as an investor? Well, their answer in essence, you know, is, well, because I have a network, right? So it's basically like you should invest in me because it's me, yeah. which is not a good reason yeah. to give somebody, like to trust somebody with their money, right? Like good reasons are I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you more money than anybody else and here's my track record. Mm -hmm. Or I have a unique differentiator, which is very hard to replicate and gives me access to proprietary deals. Uh, these are good, or I have a great brand that is attracting um, entrepreneurs, these are valid reasons, but, you know, saying, Hey, I was early at Uber, therefore you should invest, uh, therefore you should invest in me, or therefore you should take my money. If you're an entrepreneur, these are not good reasons. And so in a, in a downturn, 
all of these, you know, small, you know, call that super angel or, you know, me, myself and I type situation are going to go away as well. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to raise money, you know, I like to think of <laughs> investors are as coming in three different kinds, like for venture capital, you have the whales are the massive funds that, you know, are, are endangered because they get too big. Right? Yeah. Then you have the dolphins, the dolphins being the the funds that add value, right? Like you swim with the dolphins because they yeah. help you navigate some treacherous waters, yeah. which Mighty Capital, I think, is one of them. And then you have the, the minnows, right? The very tiny fish who may or may not survive. Like it's just going to be attrition there. Yeah. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to raise money, make sure you like, try to identify dolphins, right? firms that have a sustainable competitive advantage and will carry you through the downturn better than any other firm. Good. Those are, those are some great tips. So just a follow-up question. So since you mentioned, and you've mentioned several times, do you think the whales in this, in this metaphor are going to go away because they're not going to be able to get the returns? Does that mean that you see a lot of the startups that would have maybe stayed out of the public markets for a lot longer um, as they go away, will now go public sooner? So uh, they may or may not all go away. You know, for example, SoftBank may go away. Sequoia is unlikely to go away, right? So yeah. it's, it's yeah. not black and white. But what do I think is the impact on liquidity? I think what's going to happen, and we're already seeing that, is the IPO window is going to close for a while. Okay. But there are still a lot of companies that will be going IPO. You know, if you, if you look at you know, who's in the starting blocks, Robinhood and Airbnb and yep. DigitalOcean and many, many of them, um, they're still going to go public and maybe next year or maybe delayed, but they're still going to be going IPO. Mm -hmm. The smaller companies, you know, if, if you have a company that, you know, has maybe $10 million in revenue right now, my recommendation for you is either try to exit like ASAP, like sell yourself soon uh, for, for a good price and start another company mm -hmm. or plan on taking your company all the way to IPO, which is a much riskier value proposition. And if I were an entrepreneur today, yeah, it's one of the best times to start a company right now. Yeah. So if I had a business and I could sell it now, I would sell it and start another company. It's mm. great. It's great advice for entrepreneurs that are listening. And uh, do you feel, you know, in regards to like meant to get it back to liquidity, how as a lot of asset classes are kind of being very, have been volatile. Some equities initially took a massive hit. Now they've come roaring back. Other, other segments are also still struggling. Do you see any pressure or change in relative to LPs out there that are funding these funds? Any, any difference there that's out there? Look, I, I've stopped trying to understand the stock market, to be honest with you. <laughs> I understand private markets because they're very much driven by um, business fundamentals. I understand <clears throat> real estate market because, you know, while they're also driven by, by economic indicator, there's, there's a lagging factor. And, okay, I get that. Yep. Uh, stock market, uh, it's, you know, not, not my cup of tea. So yeah. as far as your question how do like larger limited partners react in a market like this? Yeah. Um, 
just like every other industry, what you see is the market leaders, they see the opportunity. They're like, oh, well, everybody's frozen and waiting for things to, you know, kind of go back, back, quote unquote, back to normal, which they never do. Yeah. I, I'm going to take advantage and I'm going to place my bets in brand new ways, right? So I'm reinventing myself because I'm a market leader. Therefore, I have to drive the conversation. And then everybody else is like frozen and they're going to wait and see what the market leaders figure out. And then once they figure it out, they'll say, oh, okay, well, let's continue to follow the market leader because that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then final question in regards to startups. Um, you know, with this whole movement that, you know, of work from home and a lot of companies have already mentioned that they're going to make it a permanent case or create permanent availability to do so. How do you see that impacting the startup community or where you potentially would look for deals or where employee base would be? What's the impact of uh, the work from home movement? Yeah. So uh, two things on that. One, I think working from home forever is, is not sustainable. You know, people, and you can see it from the, the crazy stuff that's happening right now and all the curfew, right? People want to be connected. People want our mm -hmm. social creatures. So there's going to be a, a back to work. There's going to be an enjoyment of the office. And yes, people who are at risk may work from home for longer periods than people who aren't, but people will eventually go back to the office. However, the nature of the office may change a little bit in that it may be more distributed. Mm -hmm. Like people realize that, okay, so we may benefit from having a main, a main office and bringing people to the office periodically but also having people like in maybe less expensive locations than New York and San Francisco, which mm -hmm. was already happening before. You know, many of the entrepreneurs we invest in, they take advantage of some arbitrage in, in resources and costs this way. So I think it will just accentuate that. But I don't believe in any of the theories that, oh, everybody's going to work from home forever. I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's sustainable. If you yeah. have kids, you already know it's not sustainable. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I've heard that many from a lot of my friends that have do have children. It's a, it's a quite a difficult task to manage. So I just want to move on to the final questions. So we like to, with each of our guests, break down some morning routines or routines and rituals that they have in their daily life that allow them to be successful or make the change that they, they do on a daily basis. Is there any particular routines or morning routines or rituals that allow you to be successful on a day-to-day -day basis? Yes, my morning and my evening routines are, are keys to success. Uh, morning routine is a lot about health. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll exercise, I'll meditate every morning, mm -hmm. uh, even for a few minutes. And then I'll be sure to catch up on all the news and I don't check the news until the evening. Okay. So that's sort of the, the morning. And then in the evening, I'll, I'll, I'll have a break. And I'll, I'll generally have a break relatively early in the evening like in you know i mean after working hours like five to seven or something like that and i'll you know hang out with my my husband we'll have dinner i'll i'll play a game read a magazine do something that's really a change of pace won't think mm -hmm. about work at all and then maybe i go back to work but that long break like a two hour just like do nothing recharge very important mm -hmm. Thank you, for, thank you for breaking down. For the meditation, is there a particular app or practice that you do? Uh, the audience might be interested in that. Yes, it's actually something recent. You know, it's interesting because 
I think we, as people, we are our worst critic. And so my meditation, I, I do in, in very, it's a very short meditation, but it's three steps. And the first step is, I, I know it's going to come across a little awkward, but, mm -hmm. but if you try it, you'll, you'll see incredible benefits. I tell myself, like I have basically visualization for myself. I'll mm -hmm. tell myself like, you're an athlete, for example, because I'm trying to work out. I'm trying yeah. to be better with my health. So I'll project it to what I don't believe to be true today. Like today, I don't see myself as an athlete. But if I keep exercising and projecting, then maybe I'll become an athlete, right? So I'll say yeah. you're an athlete or you're a thought leader or, you know, things like that, that, you know, I, I think are aspirational for myself. And most of the time during that first part of the negotiation of the, uh, <laughs> I see, uh, negotiating with yourself, of yeah. the meditation, it's quite uncomfortable because you don't believe what you tell yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I'll do that. And then I'll switch to a gratitude practice where I'll say, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for you know, all the things I can think of in my life. And then after these two, I'll sit in silence for a couple of minutes. And so that's my meditation practice. Thank you. Thank you for breaking that down. I think it'll be helpful for the audience. So moving to the next question, what does personal care mean to you? Oh, personal care is, I, I actually, you know, for the past two, three years, as our, our business has been exploding, I uh, have put a lot more attention on personal care. And so it's really about, you know, what you eat, how well you exercise, and how you sleep. There's another component people like to bring in, which is about stress management. But from my perspective, like as long as you do these three, you eat well, sleep well, exercise enough, that that's really what it means. Thank you. Thank you for breaking that down. And is there something currently new that you're exploring that's kind of taking your time that you're very fascinated with? Maybe something that you've recently become uh, aware of? Yeah. So there are two books that I read in the last week that I thought were very, very relevant and, and useful that I think could be useful to your audience and mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. One is called The Big Leap. And The Big Leap, if you're not familiar with it, talks about how you can operate in one of three zones. You can operate in your zone of competence, which is you do a good job and you know life is good enough kind of thing. Or you can operate in your zone of excellence, which is, wow, I found a niche where I'm really good at and I get paid a ton of money to do it, even though I may not enjoy it or maybe not enjoy it anymore. And then you can operate in your zone of genius, which is generally like highly uncomfortable but also extremely rewarding. And so I would, you know, I would, I would encourage you to read that book and to strive to operate in your zone of genius, mm -hmm. uh, whatever that is. And then the other book that I've read, it's a little more tactical than you know, these big concepts, is, is about marketing and launching products. I'm always you know, hungry for these kinds of books, these kinds of books. And uh, the book that I'm reading recently is called Marketing Made Simple, which mm -hmm. is a dead simple, as it yeah. says, way to launch products and, and drive revenue for products. And the author does a phenomenal job outlining and very simple, you know, step-by-step -step approach to, to launching products. So I recommend that book. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning. I'll put that in the show notes. And then final question. If you were to have a dinner party and you can invite three guests, dead or alive, to, to attend the dinner party, uh, who would you invite and why? Oh, God. Okay, so first guest I would invite dead 
Joan of Arc, like pioneer of, you know, uh, women power, like, you know, amazing and gets burned at the stake for it. Like if I could resuscitate her, I'd definitely have her for dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, second guest, I would say Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think he just really revolutionized music in the 90s or you know, whatever, and, and, and for, for the long, long term. Mm-hmm. And then third guest, hmm, that's a really good question. I would say maybe Christine Lagarde or someone like this who's really sort of bridging, you know, business and policy and world geopolitics type thing. To, to give me a bit of insights on like what's going on in our crazy world right now. Yeah, no, it, that, that would be a very interesting uh, dinner party to have all those different perspectives. So it's a good selection. So just finally, if the audience wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to connect, connect with you? And get in contact? Yeah, email me. It's st at mighty.capital. All right, that's perfect. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast. I think the audience learned a lot. So thank you.